this evening, we're, Psalm 3, you'll notice as it begins, it says here in the scriptures, it gives you the background. We don't always have that right in the psalm, but you'll notice it says, A psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom his son. Now notice with me verse number one, it says, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Selah. And now verse number three, let's read this out loud together. Ready? Begin. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the time that we have tonight to study your word. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, help us to, to learn. Also, Lord, help us to be encouraged by the word this evening. We pray for your power and your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you noticed back in verse number one, it's pretty straightforward here what's going on in David's life. He's surrounded. He's, he has all of these people that have come up against him. But probably what's hitting him the hardest right now is who is the one who is the one that's leading this rebellion against him? Yeah, it's his son. It's the son who he loves very much. His son Absalom has rebelled against him. And of all of the times of difficulty that David has faced, I mean, David's felt, David's been on the run before, hasn't he? David has encountered this before, but who was it? I mean, who was the one who pursued him way back months ago when we studied it? He was, he was running from who? Saul. Now, at one point, he had a close relationship with Saul, but, but Saul was, that could be understood. He, we could understand that, you know, Saul was threatened by David, and so Saul pursued him. But now, David's being chased by someone he loves very much. He's been betrayed by someone he loves very much. And he's been betrayed by people that he once trusted in. And so this idea that, that there is, there's people come against him, but they're increasing. It's, it's almost more than he can handle. Take your Bibles now and go and go back with me to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter number 15. We looked at three chapters on Sunday, and I want to just zero in in a couple of verses, a couple of sections of the passage, and look at it a little bit more carefully. So if you're with me here in 2 Samuel, chapter number 15. I want to pick it up in verse number 7. 2 Samuel 15 and verse number 7. It says, And it came to pass after 40 years that Absalom said unto the king, I pray thee, <clears throat> let me go and pay my vow, which I vowed unto the Lord in Hebron. Just a quick word about a quick note about this. If you remember, what's happened is Absalom came back into the kingdom and he stole. If you read verse number six, it says he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. They would do you remember he set himself up as a counselor and everyone that had problems would go and see Absalom. And he's oh, I'll, tell me about your problems. The king doesn't have time, but I will I will give you the time that you need. And so he stole the hearts of the people. And now it says in verse number seven, after 40 years that Absalom said unto the king. Now, it, there's just a little bit of note since we are doing a Bible study. 
Uh, just a little bit of note, what is this 40 years? Could it possibly be that Absalom did this for 40 years? That people came and counseled, he counseled them for 40 years? Well, that would be impossible. It cannot be a reference to the, uh, the 40 years of, um, there just wouldn't have been enough time. David would be long dead by the time this happened. David didn't even live that long. So people have debated what this 40 years signifies. Some say it should be four years, that there was a scribal uh, error that crept in. But that doesn't really sit well with me. I don't think that's what it is. More conservative Bible teachers feel that this is, this is a reference to, to perhaps this was 40 years from the anointing of David. There's different possibilities. We don't know exactly what the 40 years is a reference to. Um, but we're given this idea. If you follow the timeline, it could very well be, as we're shifting toward this betrayal of David's kingdom, that the 40 years could be a reference to the, the time at which David was anointed. But we're not 100% sure what this is a reference to. Nevertheless, he says to, he says to the king now, he's ready to launch his revolt. So he says, I want to go and pay my vow, which I have vowed to the Lord in Hebron. What, what do we learn about Absalom here in this, in this verse, other than his treachery? I, I find something kind of really troubling here in, the, in this passage and what Absalom says. Because most of you all know, if you were here on Sunday, and if not, just catch you up to speed, he's about to lead the rebellion, sound the trumpet, and, and start a civil war. But what's really sad about, what, what do you think is really sad about verse number seven that uh, Absalom does here? What's that? So he feigns, he has a false spirituality about himself. Who does he bring into this? Who does he bring into his statement here? Yeah, he brings the Lord into it. And he comes to his father and, and perhaps David is encouraged by this. I'm just trying to get, give us a sense of the betrayal that David feels. David is a man who despite his faults and sins in the past, David has a real tender heart for the Lord. A very tender heart for the Lord. And Absalom comes, and maybe Absalom knows that. And Absalom uses that, and he says, Well, Father, I have, I have vowed a vow to God. And so when David, so he says in verse number eight, For thy servant vowed a vow when, while I abode at Geshur in Syria, saying, If the Lord shall bring me again indeed to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. And the king said unto him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. So here David is under the impression that his son, I mean, I can imagine he's thinking, oh, there's spiritual progress being made in the heart of Absalom. But there's not. Jeff, so you look like you're itching to, itching to say something on this one. I, I don't think that could be, but I think it's not that. I think he's just using spiritual things for his own advantage. I think he's... That's exactly what I just said. <laughs> so, so, so. There's, not, there's nothing genuine. I don't believe there's anything genuine about these vows. He's just telling his father that made these vows and they don't really make anything. Right. That's what you meant. I but yeah, so maybe I'm not being clear. <laughs> did, did you find, was everybody tracking with me on that? Yes. I would say he seems to be a person who plays both sides. That's, yeah, that's exactly, thank you. So however we got there, we all got to the same place because that's exactly what's going on here. He says, 
I have I made this vow. I'm, I'm, I'm putting it in David's perspective because David's the one who's going to be betrayed. So what is David, when David sees this, what's going through David's mind? What could be? There you go. Yeah, exactly. His father is thinking, oh, this is, this is good, this is good. But Absalom is using this fake, feigned spirituality to manipulate his father. Sad, sad state in the life of Absalom. Um, in fact, we come immediately now to verse number 10 where it says, but Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel saying, as soon as ye hear the sound of the trumpet, then ye shall say, Absalom reigneth in Hebron. And, when, and with Absalom went 200 men out of Jerusalem that were called. And they went in their simplicity and they knew not anything. So, so also now, so he's, he's, deceived his, he's deceived his father and now he's bringing other people in. He's de- deceiving them. They don't even know his ultimate purposes in what's going on. And verse number 12 is, is going to be particularly hard for David. Because it says in verse number 12, And Absalom sent for Ahithophel the Gilanite, David's counselor, from his city, even from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices. And the, and the conspiracy was strong. For the people increased continually with Absalom. Do you have your, your, your hand in, or your marker in Psalm 3? You don't, I'm not going to, we'll spend a lot more time there in a minute, but you see verse 12 there. If you look at verse number one, the very same, very same words are used in Psalm 3, 1, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Here in verse 12 of 2 Samuel, it says, and the conspiracy was strong for the people increased continually with Absalom. And there came a messenger to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. And David said unto all his servants that were with him at Jerusalem, arise and let us flee for we shall not else escape from Absalom. Make speed to depart lest he overtake us suddenly and bring evil upon us and smite the city with the edge of the sword. So David packs up everything, all of his advisors. He packs up all the people who are loyal to them, and they have to get out of the city as fast as they can. So this is, again, this contrast here. You see Absalom faking his spirituality, claiming this this power, all of this. And then David now has to run. Now skip down to verse number 30. And I want you to see what happens with David. Verse number 30, And David went up by the ascent of Mount Olivet and wept as he went up and had his head covered. And he went barefoot. And all the people that was with him covered every man his head. And they went up weeping as they went up. It's a pretty raw description, wouldn't you say? Just uh, the agony of his soul. So he realizes that his 
son has betrayed him. Ahithophel, his, his, one of his most counted on advisors, has betrayed him. The people who were once loyal to him have now all betrayed him. And this is a scene of grown men weeping for what's taken place. This is the background for the psalm that we're reading. Verse 31, And one told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Now look at what happens in verse number 32. And it came to pass that when David was come to the top of the mount where he what? Worshipped God. The top of the mount where he worshipped God. Behold, Hushai the archate came to meet him with his coat rent and earth upon his head. David comes to the place, he stops at the place where he worships. Now, I don't know about the tense of the, of the verb here where he worshipped God in the past, if this has a past, present, I'm not 100% sure, but really I think it's safe to say based on what we're reading in, verse, in Psalm 3 that David in this moment comes to his place and he finds his place of worship before the Lord. But there aren't a lot of, there's not a lot of favorable circumstances to worship and praise over, is there? The situation that he's in isn't a situation where we would think, oh, you know what I should do right now? You know what I should stop and take a moment to do? I should stop and take a moment to worship. But let's remember, when it says, when it says worship, what is that word? What, well, of course, immediately when we think of worship, for some reason in our modern spiritual understanding, a lot of times, as soon as we think of worship, we think of what? Huh? Maybe prayer or... Huh? Song, right? What'd you say? Honor. Praise, yeah. So, so all of that is, is part of worship, but at the heart of worship, at the heart of worship, the literal definition of the word worship, what, what does it mean? Yeah, exactly. It literally means to bow down, to bow down. And so while all of those things that we described are, are expressions of a heart of worship, at the core, what we, we don't know exactly what David's worship looked like, in this passage, although the psalm is going to give us an idea of what his worship prayer and what his worship song was. But I think what's happening here is David is just bowing down, and what he's doing is he's completely surrendering his situation. He's completely surrendering the people. He's completely surrendering it all, all of it to the Lord. It's really, it, it just reminds me, I think the, the greatest statement of worship, I think the greatest statement of worship in all the Bible is Jesus actually in the garden when he prayed, Father, not my will, but thine be done. And so it says something about the condition of a person's heart. I mean, David has a walk with God. David is, his heart is right with God. And no matter what is come against him, no matter what he faces, he realizes God I mean, in worship, think about what we're recognizing. And, and, you know, you can add to this if you'd like, but 
in worship, he's recognizing God's sovereignty over the situation. Right? He's recognizing that. Now, does David know how this is going to turn out? He doesn't know how it's going to turn out. He's not 100% sure. But he's, he's, he's surrendered to this. He bows down in this moment. He takes time to just worship the Lord. There's, there's a lot of moments like this in the Bible. And I think they're given for us to, to prepare our hearts for difficult times. I, I think of probably another example of this kind of worship is, is, the, is Job. Remember what his response was? He said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. There's, and Job, like David, I'm sure, had questions. But he's, he doesn't get all the answers to all of his questions. But in the middle of it, he stops, he acknowledges, and he worships God. And then he writes this song, Psalm 3. And he begins with, and I, I, the, the outline I, I borrowed this evening from, I, I, I just I read this in a commentary, and the, the, the main points have borrowed these points because it's so simple and, and straightforward. In the first two verses, he expresses, really in the first stanza of this song, just the fact of how he feels surrounded. So in verses one, two, 1 and 2, we see David surrounded. In verses 3 through 6, we see him sustained. And then in verses 7 and 8, we see him saved. But look back now at the psalm. Look at verse 1 and 2. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Selah. That Hebrew phrase, selah, given, given to us to, to stop to contemplate on what was just said before we move on. And I think the weight of what David's feeling is he has other people, other people speaking to him, plenty of people saying, God's not going to help him. God won't deliver him. There's no hope. This is a completely and utterly hopeless situation. But in the hopeless situation, God is there. God is present with him, even though he feels surrounded. And so we stop, and we've already spent the, the, the bulk of the first part of our, our talk tonight really thinking about this, where David's at when he writes these first two verses. How are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him and God. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. My glory and the lifter up of mine head. That this psalm for me, there's a, there is a, a, a choral piece that's taken this psalm and set it to a really beautiful choral piece. Has anybody ever heard this? The, um, this, the arrangement of this psalm set to music? You've heard it before? Yeah, you've heard it? It's, it's so good. Like if you have, look it up sometime, uh, maybe after you go home, Thou, O Lord. But that thou, O Lord, the Brooklyn Tabernacle does it. It's just, it's so good. Starts in a minor key. Many are they that rise up against me. And then it shifts right there in verse number one and moves into a major key and says, but thou, O Lord, 
are a shield for me, my glory and the lifter of mine head. And I just think it's so, it's so powerfully set because what a minor, you, you hear the sounds of the minor key in those first couple of verses. And then verse number three, all of the attention is immediately off of the surrounding circumstances, off of what the world is saying. And David's attention is given 100% to worship, to worship. I remember a time uh, recently uh, in my life going through, this was a couple of years ago, going through just a, 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 a real difficulty and just trying to deal with the situation and listening to this psalm set to music. I just had that on repeat over and over and over again because there's something that's not really explicable. It can only be experienced for, for us to understand that worship, for whatever reason, just sets our heart right. When everything else is falling apart, but thou, O Lord, are a shield for me my glory, and the lifter of my head. Verse number three talks about, um, talks about the shield. There are multiple, multiple passages all over the Psalms that talk about that shield. In the New Testament, we the shield is mentioned as well in Ephesians chapter 6 in the armor of God, the shield of faith, wherewith we may quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So here's this idea of the, uh, of, of the shield. But thou, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. What does anybody have any idea? I think we understand my glory. He had the glory of the king and the glory of his kingdom has been lost. But now the idea of, so he says, I don't need my earthly glory. You, Lord, you are my glory. But anybody have any idea what this, the lifter up of mine head is? Anybody know what that, what that is? I I wasn't really familiar with this concept and um, had to look it up. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, this it's actually interestingly it's an idiom. It's a it's a it was a Hebrew idiom that talks about the lifting of the head is the is placing someone into a position of honor. Um quick reference those of you that are familiar with the story of um Joseph when he's in the prison, Joseph gave the interpreted the dreams for the butler and the baker, right? Of Pharaoh's house. And that phrase occurs in that story. It talks about the, the, the um, yeah, it was the, who, who got, who, one of them survived. It was the baker that survived the story, right? So it says that after so many days, Pharaoh will lift up your head again. And that's, that was the same statement. The head is lifted up. In other words, they're brought back to a position of honor. And so David here in his worship, he says, but thou, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. God, if, 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 if I'm going to be restored, it's going to be you that does it. So he expresses his faith here. And what he's, what he's doing is, is really he's showing that God is the one who's sustaining him. 
He talks about the fact, he says in verse number four, I cried unto the Lord with my voice and he heard me. He heard me out of his holy hill. Aren't you thankful that the, that, that the Lord hears? I mean, think of, all of, the, think of the, all of the people who have cried out to false gods. All the people who have cried out, in, but, but those that don't have a relationship with the true and living God. All people find themselves, all people find themselves in these kinds of situations. Whether we're, whether they're saved, unsaved, born again or not, people will find themselves in these terrible situations in life. But it's only those who know the Lord who can cry out and say, I know that he heard me. I know that he heard me. I cried unto the Lord with my voice and he heard me out of his holy hill. Now look at the state of mind that he's been able to find in verse number five. He says, I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. Do you, do you, I don't know if I would have gotten much sleep in the situation that David's in. Right? I mean, probably, probably a lot of us. I talked to somebody recently who was going through a, a difficulty, and they said to me that, you know, I... I lost sleep the last couple of nights. I haven't lost sleep in a long time. But in this passage, David, I don't know if this is, I don't know if a younger David would have been able to write these words. Maybe it's after God had proved himself faithful time and time and time again and through all the circumstances that David can say, Lord, I was able, thank you, Lord, I could lay down, I could sleep, I could wake up because you sustained me. You sustain me. Because of that, in verse number six, I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. So he can be he can be fearless. So we saw he's 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 got this feeling of being surrounded, but he turns to the Lord in worship and he says, God, it's you who've sustained me. And then ultimately in verse number seven, he he points to the God who has saved him. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone, thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Interesting here, I think David is going back and he's remembering all of the victories that he's seen time and time again. It started with the it started when he was just a kid with the lion and the bear. It moved on and it was it was Goliath. Then it was Saul. Then it's these other kingdoms that have come up against him. And he says here, as an older man facing, yet he probably thought at this point in his life, all the battles were behind him. He probably thought at this point that the troubles and the difficulties, I mean, he'd been through a lot of this before. And now at this point to be going through it all over again, sometimes that's when people are tempted to throw in the towel or tempted to say, you know, I've already been through this. I've already been through all of these circumstances. At those moments, we can make that decision to either once again throw ourselves in faith upon the, uh, upon the Lord or just say, you know what, I've had enough of this. But David, at this point, he walks with the Lord. He says, you know what, God, you've defeated my enemies. You've broken them. You've conquered them. So I'm going to trust you to save me. I'm going to trust you to deliver me. Why? Because salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people, Selah. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. 
Now, as New Testament believers, we know that when we talk about salvation, we talk about salvation, we we are familiar with that. We we think of our deliverance from our from sin, right? So, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, is the gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. We know that we come to Christ by faith for salvation. But God's salvation is both a past event that happens in our lives, but it's also a present reality with us that he, that we continue to be saved, to be, to be made more holy. But ultimately, the Apostle Paul would write that now is your salvation nearer than when you first began. That there is that we are not, while we are saved from our sin, we are not completely saved yet. Right? We are not yet completely saved. Now, don't misunderstand me. Is there anything, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, there remains nothing for you to do. There remains no other work required. Faith in the blood of Jesus is enough for your salvation past, present, and future. The point is this. Jesus hasn't completed his salvation in our lives yet. It hasn't happened yet. We are looking forward to that day when our salvation is complete, when we stand before him in our resurrection bodies and everything from this life is passed away. And so when it says here, salvation belongs to the Lord, thy blessing is upon thy people, Selah, that the Lord has, the Lord's promise is that he will deliver us. He will save us. There is an ultimate salvation that is to come. And that is, we have been given what the the Bible calls the earnest or the down payment to that salvation. Does anybody know what that down payment of our salvation is? That's, that is a really good answer. His, it's, it's not the correct answer, but Jesus's blood is the payment for our salvation. But the down payment, the earnest of our eternal salvation is what? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. The fact that he has given us, when we believe in Christ, that he has given us the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the Bible refers to that as the earnest as the down payment, as the seal, as the security that we know that we are his, we have the presence of his spirit and that he is working our full and final salvation. It's all through Christ. Yeah. So that's like the security deposit? That is the security deposit. No, it's good. It's, you know, it's all, it's, it's the Bible uses it in, um, the, the Bible uses financial terms to describe it. And so the gift of the Spirit is the earnest, the earnest money or the deposit or the, uh, in fact, I, let me look up the scripture. Go ahead, look at it. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Just looked it up really quick. I wasn't planning on going there. But this idea of a future salvation and it being secured, 2 Corinthians Chapter 1. Verse number nine, verse number 18. 2 Corinthians 1 and verse number 18. 
It's interesting now. Think about the verse that's on the screen here. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. That's a promise. David is clinging to that promise. And you and I have even more information about the promise, right? We have, we, David didn't see Jesus Christ. David, D- David didn't have the, the New Testament. David didn't know about the resurrected Lord. He, he had glimpses of it, but he didn't know the whole thing. And so, but he knew that, Sal, that God would fully and finally save, and he claimed that promise. You and I have even greater revelation to know that whatever we face, that he, there is a promise that would be ultimately delivered. But as God is true, our word toward you was, was not yea and nay. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay. It wasn't, well, yes, but maybe no. Not, yeah, we'll see about this. But in him was, what's it say? Are you there? Did everybody find it? Some of you aren't there yet. You got to see it. Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians one, verse eighteen. I'll, I'll start again. But as God is true, our word towards you was not yea and nay. It wasn't yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in Him was yea. It was a a, a great and loud, resounding yes. The promise of God is a resounding yes. Verse 20, For all the promises of God in Him are yea, and in Him, amen. Which, amen means let it be so. What God has said, it's not a, well, yes, this will happen, but no, this won't. It's all yes, yes, amen, yes. Unto the glory of of God by us. Now verse 21, now he which establisheth us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God, who hath also sealed us and given the deposit, the security, the earnest of the spirit in our hearts. David was filled with the Spirit from his anointing. You and I have the same anointing. That we have the anointing by God who has sealed us and given us the earnest of the spirits in our hearts. And that's why when we face the situations, we can, we can say with David, if we know Christ, that we are the anointed of God and that we have the earnest of his Spirit within us. To give us that confidence, though the, the circumstance may not work out favor, favorably here and now, but ultimately our salvation is as secure as the very reputation of God, because in Him every promise is yes and amen. Amen? Amen. amen. Yeah. Ephesians 1 13 and 14, another good reference to that. Which says, You were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Ephesians 1, the earnest of the inheritance. You were sealed. Holy Spirit of promise. Same, linking the promise of God for our salvation to the earnest of the Spirit. Wonderful truths. And so we see the, 
these principles that we can worship Him in our difficulties. We can claim His promise because in Him is yes and amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right, let, let's have a word of prayer and we'll conclude our Bible study time tonight and then we'll go to our prayer time. Lord, we thank you for the word that's been given tonight. I pray that it would encourage and challenge our hearts. Help us to, I pray for anybody that's struggling right now or Lord just needs your grace in a special way. I pray that you'd help them to lean on you, to lean into their relationship with you. We thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit and that he is our comfort. He is our comforter, that he walks and he walks with us, teaches us and, and assures us. Lord, we pray that you bless the rest of our time tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.